You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. Oh, hey, as we... uh... Uh, as we're going to get going here, uh, we're going to continue on with our series of Christ in the Old Testament. Christ in the Old Testament. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Amos. The book of Amos. And so, uh, again, you may want to get uh, your phones ready or your uh, pencils ready as uh, we and some of the verses that we'll be using here. Uh, we're going to catch a tailwind and we're going to roll here uh, in this. Uh, And uh, the word Amos, his name means burden bearer, burden bearer. And uh, even though we call Amos a prophet and his book is in a section of scripture that uh, we call the minor prophets, Amos never claimed to be a prophet. Amos did not go to the school of prophets that some of the other prophets went to. Yes, there was a school of prophets back in that day. You'll find that mentioned in 1 Samuel and in 2 Kings. So Amos was not a professional prophet. He was what we might call today a layperson. And God called him from another profession. So Amos answered Amaziah, I was not a prophet, and some versions say am not a prophet, or the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman, and I took care of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. So Amos is a shepherd. He was a shepherd, and he was someone who tended to trees. That was his job. And God called him out of that and said, I got a message for you to deliver to my people. So God uh, uh, gave him that message to do. Now, the time that Amos ministered was probably in about, let me get here, was probably in about uh, 760 B.C. Uh, And I say that because we know when the two kings, if you'll read in Amos, it mentions two kings in Amos chapter 1. Uh, verse 1 says, The words of Amos, who was one of the sheep breeders from Tekoa, uh, that he saw regarding Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now that's important because two kings are mentioned here, and we know when those two kings reigned. King Jeroboam II reigned in Israel from 793 to 753 BC. King Uzziah reigned in Judah from uh, uh, 792 to 740 B.C. And Zechariah, and Zechariah 14.5, and the Jewish historian uh, Josephus both mention a major earthquake during the, ki- the reign of King Uzziah. In fact, archaeological uh, excavations have uh, point to the evidence that there was a violent earthquake in Israel about 760 B.C., Again, that's in the time of both of these kings. So it's during this time period that both Israel and Judah were, uh, were 
politically stable and they were politically uh, and prosperous. They were stable and prosperous. In fact, the success and prosperity of both of those nations was second only to Solomon's golden age. These guys were doing well. They were doing well. Commerce was thriving. The rich were getting richer. But there was also a dark underbelly to the beast, if you will. The poor were getting poorer. And they were being taken advantage of by the rich. Now, all of this is important because of what Amos is going to be doing here. And many of the poor had to sell themselves into slavery in order to pay the debts that they had so they wouldn't be thrown into prison. Now, how would you like to do that? But they had to. The morality of the nation had sunk to a new low. The prosperity of, of both nations just masked the poverty and the misery of so many of its people. Religion was doing well. Religion was, man, people were, were doing religion like nobody's business, if you will. They were attending all the Jewish festivals and they were offering their sacrifices. They believed that God was with them and, and they also believed that because God was with them, they were immune from any kind of disaster. The problem is, not only did they worship Yahweh, they were also worshiping the Canaanite gods as well. They thought, just as long as we worship Yahweh, just as long as we show up for the temple on Saturday, it doesn't matter what else we do. God's got our back. We get brownie points for doing that, right? And God sends Amos to give a message to the nation of Israel that his anger was against them. And they needed to repent before disaster came upon them because of what they were doing. And so it's in this prophecy, it's in this message of Amos that we find Jesus. First of all, we find his presence. We find his presence. Uh, in Amos chapter 5, verses 4 through 17, it says, Seek good and not evil so that you may live. And the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have claimed. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, Yahweh, the God of hosts, the Lord says, There will be a wailing in all the public squares. They will cry out uh, in, in anguish in all the streets. The farmer will be called on to mourn, and the professional mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass among you. The Lord has spoken. Again, Amos 5, I think I said 4, but it's 14 through 17. Now, in several places in Amos, you will find that uh, Amos referring to God. Okay, God. You say, well, of course, this is from God. But the name for God that's being used here in the Hebrew is... Elohim. We've looked at this quite a few times as we've gone through the Old Testament, uh, going through it. And remember, Elohim is plural. Even though there's one God, Elohim is plural. So again, what we see here is the Trinity. So whether Amos knows it or not, he's referring to the Trinity. And the second person of the Trinity is? Okay, I know that somehow. Am I on? The second person of the Trinity is Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. So, we have here 
Jesus. And Amos is warning the nation of Israel that the God of hosts is about to reap his vengeance upon him. The Elohim of hosts, the God of hosts, is about to reap his vengeance upon him, uh, upon them. And Amos encourages them to repent by doing good and turning from their evil ways. And if they do, just maybe God will be merciful. But if they don't, God's vengeance is coming. In fact, in, in verse 18, he basically is, uh, says that many have been longing for the day of the Lord. Uh, but he also says this, they'll be longing for it because, or, or they'll be longing for it because their enemies will be defeated. They had the mindset that their enemies were the enemies of God. Well, my enemies, they got to be God's enemies, right? But Amos, in his prophecy, is letting them know that the day of the Lord isn't what they think it's going to be because they, too, will reap God's wrath. And they're worshiping of false gods. And they're taking advantage of the poor and their lack of morals. They, too, had set themselves up as God's enemy, and he will deal with them. Man. I kind of think that may be a message for our country today. Just because we think we're on God's side doesn't mean we're on God's side. Or if we think God's on our side because, you know, we're, we're all that. This day of the Lord, we're told it's going to be brought about by the God of hosts. The God of hosts. And this word hosts is referring to angels. It's referring to angels. So this is God, the Elohim of angels. And Elohim, Jesus is the second person of it, right? Okay. But also, it's referring to something else. This word hosts in the original language is also a military word that refers to armies. It refers to armies. So this is, you wonder why the first song we sang, I asked Chris to sing it. This is the God, the Elohim of angel armies. The God of angel armies. And that's what some of your translations probably say. So here we see Jesus, not only in the second person of the Trinity in the word Elohim, but he is the commander of the angel army. He is the God of the angel army. Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on a white horse wearing pure white linen. That's talking about Jesus and the armies of heaven, right? We're following him. The God of angel armies is Jesus. And it's he who on the day of the Lord will lead the armies of heaven against the enemies of God. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you're not right with God, you will know his wrath. Amos 9.10 says, All the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake us will die by the sword. Being a Jew wouldn't get these guys to heaven. 
Just like being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Catholic or any other such religion, they won't get you to heaven. It's only a relationship with Jesus that moves you from the enemy's list of God into the family's list of God. That's it. That's it. So if you're thinking that you, because I am such and such, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm a this or I'm a that, if you're thinking that that's going to get you to heaven, God says it ain't going to get you anywhere close. Only Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? What Paul is saying here, the way you get off of God's enemy list is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you will be reconciled to him there will be peace between you and God and trust me you want the God of angel armies on your side so in Amos we find the presence of Jesus as the second person of the Trinity and the God of angel armies who on the day of the Lord his day will come to reap vengeance upon his enemies so we find him in his presence we also find him in his restoration in his restoration in Amos 9 11 we see in that day I will restore the fallen booth of who David I will repair its gaps restore its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old the Davidic kingdom had split into two nations because of conflict. Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and it was falling apart. These nations were falling apart. A booth that, uh, that is being talked about there, a fallen booth, a booth was a structure that is temporarily lived in, much like we think of a tent today, not like a house that was built to be lived in permanently. So the house of David... The house of David, the house that was supposed to be permanent, has become now like a tent. And David's kingdom, like a beat-up old tent, is about to fall apart. The house of David is about to be no more when it comes to ruling over people. But God says that he will restore the house of David. It will be permanent once again. Once again, someone in the line of David will rule over his people forever. And that restoration is speaking of Jesus. He's the one who comes in the line of David and will rule the house of David forever. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father who? David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. How long is forever? Forever. No end. That's it. It's easy to do that, right? In the restoration of the booth of David, we see an imprint of Jesus. He will rule the kingdom of David forever. Today, Jesus is on his throne ruling over the affairs of nations, and no one and nothing is going to dethrone him. And one day, he is physically going to come down and be on the throne.
what a day that's going to be. So we see, we saw him in his presence. We saw him in his restoration, the restoration of, of the house of David. And then we see his plumb line. We see his plumb line. In Amos chapter 7, he showed me this. The Lord was standing there by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. Now, in case you don't know what a plumb line is, it's a line on which a heavy weight is attached. And you can hold it up like this, and you let that weight free, uh, freely swing until it stops. And when it stops, you know you have an absolute vertical line, a vertical measurement. It's absolutely vertical, no doubt about it, because that weight always points to the center of the earth. It's always there. I don't care where you go, that weight's always going to point to the center of the earth. You will always have a perfectly vertical line. And a plumb line is used to make sure a wall is perfectly straight and vertical. You know what? A plumb line doesn't lie. It doesn't lie. It's always true when you use it to see if a wall is perfectly straight to see if a wall is true. Well, God's plumb line is His Word. This is it. This is God's plumb line. His laws. This is His plumb line. It is what the Jews were to be living by, but they weren't. They were anything but straight and true in their walk with, Jesus, with God. So he was going to measure them by the laws that he had given them to follow, and they would pay the consequences if they were found out of plumb with them. If they didn't measure up to these, they were paying the consequences. Well, folks, this plumb line is an imprint of Jesus. It's an imprint of Jesus. You know, sometimes people, I don't know about you, but there are sometimes there are some laws that I read that go on the books, and I go, how in the world do you follow that thing? Right? How do you follow that? That doesn't make any sense. How do you do that? How's that supposed to be followed? And sometimes we have those. We wonder how these laws are to be followed. How are they to be obeyed? What is needed is an example to follow so that you know how to obey the law. That's what's needed. We go, well, how do you obey this? Because remember, back in the Old Testament days, the uh, priests and the rabbis and Pharisees and Sadducees and all the other seeds, man, they had added more stuff to what it meant that the law was. You know, you can only walk eight-tenths of a mile on a Sunday or on the Sabbath, and that's it. And so you can't go any further than that. You can't, you can't start a fire on the Sabbath. You can't cook on the Sabbath. All this has got to be done. And they got all of that from this and they added all this stuff to it and so the people are going well what is right what is wrong what's the law and God said I'm going to send you someone who's going to give you an example just follow him and you'll be okay and that person is Jesus Jesus said don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets I did not come to destroy but to fulfill for I assure you until heaven and earth pass away not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished 
Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the example. He is that plumb line from whom we are to measure ourselves. Remember he said, I did not come to destroy, but I came to what? Fulfill. Fulfill the law. To show an example, to, to live it completely so you'll know how to do so. The people back then thought that to live the life that God wanted them to live uh, so that they would be found plumb by God was to follow the example of the Pharisees who they thought were living the way God wanted them to. But remember what Jesus says right there? He says, unless you surpass that, you got problems. Because the problem is, they're not being true to God's Word. The Pharisees aren't being true to God's Word. The priests aren't being true to God's Word. The Sadducees aren't being true to God's Word. Jesus says, you got to surpass that. You can't follow them. I came to fulfill. I came to fulfill. You know, it'd be... It's kind of like trying to build a wall that's plumb, but your only example of how to do so is a wall that's way out of plumb. You're never going to build a plumb wall by using a bad wall. Jesus came to live a life that was plumb with the Word of God as an example to people of how to live. And through His perfect example, he perf His perfectly fulfilling the laws of God we see how we are to live. Through His perfect love, we see how we are to love. Jesus is the one in whom lives will be measured for plumb. Ephesians 4 says, says this, And He personally gave some to be apostles and prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the body of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured. How are we measured by? Christ's fullness. Christ's fullness. That last part of that verse lets us know the stature that we're going to be measured by. But this verse also tells us that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God starts to bring your life into plumb with Jesus. He starts moving you into plumb with Jesus. And that should be our desire to look as close to Jesus as we can be. He is our plumb line. I knew a, a brick mason, he's Passed on with the Lord now. And I was talking to him about this verse and the plumb line and, and all of that. And uh, I said, John, what do you use? He said, man, I still use the plumb line. I said, why? They make perfectly good levels. You go down to Lowe's, you stick up against the wall, you look here and you go, that's level. He said, nope, I don't use them. I use a plumb line. I said, why? He said this, levels made by man, gravity's made by God. I can't argue with that one, right? Because he said every so often you get level. He says it, you may not be exactly right, but gravity is always perfect because God made it. It's always true. And I asked him, I said, well, what's the biggest problem about getting a wall plumb? 
He said it was this. He says it was working with the imperfections in the brick. I never thought about that. But his job, he said, was to, even with the imperfections, to get that wall as close to plumb as he could. He just had to work with the imperfections to bring it into plumb. Well, folks, isn't that true for us also? We say, how can I be plumb? How can I live like Jesus? I can't live that way. Jesus' life is perfect. I can't be perfect. I have imperfections. Well, folks, our job is to allow God to work with those imperfections and start bringing our life into plumb. He'll start taking care of those imperfections. That should be our desire. And when you stand before God one day, because of your relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it will be His plumbness that God will look at and not your lack of plumb. Why? Because every one of your imperfections were paid for on the cross and forgiven when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So when God looks at you, He doesn't see your lack of plumb. He sees the plumbness of Jesus. You were made plumb. You were made righteous through Jesus. Through the plumb line, we see here in Amos the imprint of Jesus, the one who is going to come and who has come and will come again. So in Amos we find the Christ through his presence in Elohim. We find him restoring David's kingdom. And we also find as the plumb line upon whom we are to use an example of how to live and how to love. So I would say this today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please understand, you know you've got imperfections. I don't have to tell you that. And when you stand before God, nothing imperfect is going to come into his house. He isn't going to let it be because everything in his house is perfect and righteous. But if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you say, man, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my imperfections. Forgive me where I have failed you. Today, I want you to become my Lord and my Savior. Today, I want you to come into my life. Today, I am giving you my life. I want to follow you forever. If you'll pray that prayer and truly mean it, I promise you, according to His Word, you will be looked at as plumb by God when He looks at you because He's going to be looking at His Son who is going to say, it's one of mine, one of mine. And you'll be able to get into heaven. And when we get to heaven, guess what, folks? We're going to be plumb. In fact, we're going to be plumb good, right? Oh, man, what a day that's going to be. These beautiful flowers are in our memory of uh, Melton Russell, Sheila Jones' dad, whose funeral was yesterday. And, you know, we come and we remember him. Uh, and, but you know what? Today, he's plumb good in heaven because of Jesus. Jesus was his plumb line. So today, if you've never accepted Christ, man, would you in just a moment just bow your head and pray that prayer? Then we'll invite you during invitation time. Just step out into the aisle. Come forward. Take me by the hand. Say, man, preacher, I prayed that prayer. I'm made right with God now. We want to celebrate with you. Maybe you're here and, man, you're a believer, but you're living life, and your life you're living is way out of whack. It's out of plumb. Maybe you might need to come up to this altar and recommit your life to him. Say, Lord, 
Help me get back in the way I'm living. Help me get back in plumb with the way that I'm living. Help me, dear God. Because we should all want to be a great representation of who Jesus is. You may be here today and you say, man, this is a place I want to be a part of. This is a church home. I, I want to make a part of my life, be a part of my, uh, make a part of my family. Man, we'd invite you also to come and join this church as God may lead you to do. Whatever God's laying on your heart, I'm going to ask you to do so in just a moment during invitation time because this is God's invitation to you to make the decision he's laid upon your heart. Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer. For those of you that don't know Jesus as your Savior, that are here in this auditorium, maybe you're watching us on live stream, I just want to give you just a minute to pray. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Today I'm accepting you and I want to follow you. And I'm trusting in you for my eternity. There's no magic in the words, but it's whether or not you really mean it or not. If you meant it, then again, we invite you during this invitation time to step out in the aisle. Those of you watching us on live stream, man, send us an email so that we can get back with you and help you in your new walk with the Lord. Believer, how's your walk? Is it plumb? Or do you need to recommit? Whatever God's laid on your heart today, would you do it for him, for his glory? Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for seeing Jesus in this book of Amos. As we see him, Lord, in his presence. Lord, as we see him in that restoration of the house of David. And Lord, as we see him as the plumb line. Lord, I just lift up anybody here that needs to know Christ as their Savior. Lord, I lift up those who need to recommit their lives to get back on the right path. And Lord, for any other decision, Lord, may your spirit just find a freedom of movement in this place. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community. Again, thank you for listening.